dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today on Wynthabet Street, the letter of the day is W and it stands for the Waitaki Valley in New Zealand. We are so grateful to Dave Harlow of New Zealand Wine Navigator for helping us arrange this incredible interview with Jim Jerram of Osler Wines. Flanked by the cool South Pacific Ocean to the east and the high peaks of the Southern Alps to the west, the Waitaki Valley is a relatively new wine region and home of the highest mountain, Iraqi Mount Cook. Wine. Sweet. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, someday service, champagne specialist, and WSET level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hi, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Wine for Bet Street. We are up to the letter W, and today we are going to be talking about Wataki Valley in New Zealand, and we have two special guests with us. First, we have Dave um, Harlow, who was instrumental in getting this episode going. I was lucky enough to meet him at a wine event and he has helped arrange for the samples. Um, and he is from New Zealand Wine Navigator. So hello, Dave, how are you? Good, Zoe. nice to be here. <laughs> and we also have Jim Jerram, who is the owner of Osler Wines from the Wataki Valley in New Zealand. So hi, Jim. How are you? Hello, everybody. All right. Can we take a minute or two each and give us a little bio about yourselves before we get into the nitty gritty? So David, you want to go first? Oh, sure. Um, I am just a absolute uh, wine enthusiast. I love wines from all over the world, but I especially love old world wines and New Zealand wines, just because uh, a lot of them use old world styles in making their wines, which is what I appreciate. Um, not, I'm a my biggest passion is really teaching people about wine and and the um, unfortunate a lot of wines, domestic wines, the chemicals and things that are in domestic wines. So I really like part of why I really like old world and and New Zealand more than anything else. Clean wines. Clean wines. Awesome, thank you. And Jim, please introduce yourself. Okay, guys. Well, I was an MD. I was a family practitioner until 18 years ago when uh, we had started developing in a new region of New Zealand, the Waitaki Valley, which is in the same kind of general region as Central Otago, which you may have heard of, better known region. Um, the Waitaki is still a tiny area. Uh, but it had limestone. My brother-in-law is one of New Zealand's great winemakers, Jeff Sinnott. He couldn't be with us today, but he said, let's take, he came down from working in Marlborough, uh, which is a like a 10-hour drive, and he came down with his family in the late 90s and said, take me to the Waitaki Valley. Uh, there's limestone there, and I want to do Pinot Noir on limestone. And that's kind of how it all started. And we pioneered in this little district and have kind of carved out a bit of a brand, really, um, with, I think, a fabulous Pinot Noir from the limestone. But we've also been looking after some other little vineyards in, in the valley, spaced over a sort of 20-mile um, stretch of the valley. Uh, a difficult climate, right on the cool edge. But uh, when we get it right, as you'll see, uh, produces some pretty stunning wines. So I've dedicated my time. I gave up medicine, uh, as I say, 18 years ago because I felt you couldn't do both. Um, and uh, that's where we're at today. Okay, beautiful. And Deb, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Debbie Giaquindo. I'm known as the Hudson Valley Wine Goddess. I'm a certified specialist of wine, a wine location specialist in port and champagne. And I just enrolled in a sherry specialist course 
so that's TBA. <laughs> <laughs> I am author of a book, uh, Tapping in the Hudson Valley Day Trips and Weekend Itineraries to Visit the Hudson Valley Wine Region. And I'm co-owner of a restaurant in North Wildwood, New Jersey called Trio North Wildwood. And that's where you can catch me Friday and Saturday nights till the end of the year. And I don't know if I missed anything, but if I did, Lori will tell me. <laughs> I think you hit it all today. I think so. <laughs> and I am your co-host, Lori. My husband and I own Dracina Wines in Paso Robles. And I am a uh, UC Davis winemaking graduate. I am a WSET level two uh, certified along with a champagne specialist and currently a re I just graduated Rioja specialist. So I'm excited to be here because, well, we're going to start off with Riesling and I am a huge Riesling fan, but we are going to be talking some Pinot also and I cannot wait to get into this. So before we get going, we're going to listen to Elmo here. Jim, um, my first question has, before we even get into the Waitaki Valley, I was blown away, Jim, by the fact that uh, the first thing on the website said uh, about a sheep station in Southern Alps. So what is a sheep station? Uh, I'm assuming there's sheep involved, but <laughs> what is it? What did you do with that? <laughs> sheep stations are... Uh a term in Australasia, actually in Australia and New Zealand, that was given by the early white pioneers who sort of took over large tracts of, of land uh, and and sheep were brought out from Europe and, and they, they started producing wool initially and then with refrigeration in the 1880s, I think, uh, the first shipments of frozen meat started going from New Zealand back to to Britain, but it was really about the wool, and particularly merino wool. And a station in New Zealand usually, but not always, is in the mountains. There are some big stations that are on the coast, um, but generally in the South Island, you think of a sheep station with merino sheep, ultra fine wool of like, you know, 16, 18 microns, uh, beautiful wool, and um, usually large flocks. Our neighbour um, up the road. Um, who actually sold us the land for one of our vineyards, has got a uh, 100,000 acres of, of beautiful mountain country, um, and he runs 30,000 merino sheep. They've just finished their annual harvest of that, which is the shearing of those sheep, uh, and you're like 140 bales, and 140 tons, I think, of fine merino wool. Oh, my goodness. That must be something to see. I mean, to like, yeah, oh my gosh. Like, like quite a big operation and, and it used to be all serviced with horses and then with four-wheel drives and they still use both of those. But of course, he's an accomplished helicopter pilot and uh, they save a lot of time in locating all those sheep to bring them in for the, the muster them in for the for the shearing. All right. That, I get, I get take it aback by just certain things. I saw that on the website. I was like, okay, that's going to be my first question. Before we get into wine, I'm going to talk about sheep. So <laughs> thank you. But now, soil. <laughs> uh, but before we get going, Deb, before we actually start into the Waitaki Valley, shall we do our virtual clink? So we are going to start with the Riesling. So this is the wine here. So it is Osler Lakeside Wines 2016 Riesling from the Waiataki Valley. So everybody's got their glass. We'll do our little virtual clink and I will say slancha. Slante. So Lakeside Wines, what does that mean that the vineyard 
So we, we look after four little vineyards. We have been looking after four little vineyards. Um, the original limestone site that the Pinot Noir comes from, but also 20 k's, 20, it's 20 miles further up the valley, uh, slightly different climate, not limestone, on alluvial, grey, wacky, kind of rocky ground. Um, we planted Riesling and another one of our Pinot Gris from Alsace that we'd got. Oh. And this is the Pinot Gris from 2016. And um, both the wines today are from 2016, a special vintage. Um, and Jeff will make the wines according to the grapes we give him. Uh, of course, good winemaker, and he has that ability to see what's in that bunch of grapes and how he wants it to turn out. The relatively uh, low uh, acidity in that year, uh, Riesling, of course, is a high acidity wine, but the relatively low acidity in 2016 meant that we could make a dry version. This is almost dry. I think it's uh, like 8.5 grams residual sugar for 9 grams of, of acid. So it's almost dry. Those figures might be around the other way, actually. I should have checked. It's, um, you said 2016 was a, a special vintage. I think across the board, it, it's like every region we talk to says 2016 was a special vintage. You know, you, Brunello okay. is a special vintage. You know, what, what was so special for, for your region um, for 2016? Our biggest challenge is springtime. Um, we, we often get unfavorable um, winds that don't come the rest of the year in December when we're flowering. And oh. that affects the fruit the fruit set a lot. We always get them ripe to a certain degree, but that year we had a really good conditions over flowering, so we got really good fruit set. But also, uh, as the autumn progressed, we had really good, stable, dry weather for, for ripening. And so we got beautifully formed fruit that actually uh, ripened evenly and beautifully. It is lovely. It has, um, it has the, the petrol that, you know, if you're doing a blind tasting... You know that goes up to your yeah, nose, and you know. First thing I I did was note Petra, hot vintage. Was it a hot vintage? Yeah. Yes. Hot yeah, relatively hot vintage. Yes. Excuse me. Um, um, it was. Uh, but combined with that, and we'll talk about it more when we look at the Pinot Noir. Um, it was the evenness of the fruit set and the evenness of the of the ripening, and we managed to get it. I think we got this uh, fruit to about 22 bricks. We use bricks as a measure of the sugar ripeness. Uh, and often it's less than that. It might be between uh, 20 and 21. So the acid's a bit lower as well. And when the winemaker, I have this kind of vision of what makes a balanced wine. And I think it's a, it's a combination of the numbers and the science, but also of the dark art of winemaking. And I think Jeff's very good at getting that balance between the alcohol, the residual sugar, and <coughs> and the acid. And I have that image with the fruit in the middle, and I have that kind of image of an equilateral triangle with nothing sticking out particularly, fairly focused wine, and, and uh, that lovely balance of acid that leaves a kind of lingering dryness uh, for a wine that's not quite dry. And I think that is a very um, difficult line with Riesling, is that you can have a higher residual sugar Riesling, but if the acid is there, you're not blown away by that sugar. And that's that's a talent to be able to walk that line between sugar and acidity and not go out of bounds in either direction you know it it can be too acidic and it can be too sugary it, it's that balance that really matters and this definitely has it i agree i would say it is um off dry um i wouldn't go to that it's not a sweet it's not a sweet one uh the the alcohol is 12.5 um you know, so that that does make it a little in the dangerous zone because it's going to go down really, really nicely, and you're going to be pouring yourself another glass and another glass. Um, and uh, but it is—it's also um, a fuller-bodied riesling. 
And is that a typical, is this a typical Riesling for you? Is it, or is it vary by that vintage? It does vary, but I think, I think uh, reasonable body is what we tend to get. And, and I don't know, but this concept of wines fattening up in bottle. Um, and I think this wine has done that. It's gone from being a very focused, uh, well, still focused, but it's gone from being a very tight, uh, fine, uh, white fl floral sort of wine to developing these secondary tertiary characteristics that make Riesling one of the great wines. And um, it makes for superb food matching. Absolutely. <clears throat> I'm very sensitive to residual sugar, and this balance is so nice that I don't get mm. residual sugar, you know, tasting yeah. it. The 2015, um, which you don't have, but um, it was much higher acidity that year, and we made a spat, spat laser style, uh, mm -hmm. 33 grams residual, uh, and about 10.5% alcohol, I think it was. Um, and, yeah, and that, it's, it's just delightful. It's even slightly more petrol. It's a year older, I guess. Um, but very equally balanced and, and, you know, a minute after swallowing, you've got this incredible drying out of the palate. So it may start off. You don't get the cloying. You get an out-of-balance sweet wine. We, New Zealand Wine Navigator, uh, we import... 15 really small family-owned wineries, and, and Jim is one of them. And because the volumes are so small, it's hard for us to get into some stores and things like that. And typically, we're more popular in little restaurants and things like that that are, you know, looking for some special wines. And um, But the best way to get it is to either contact me directly or just go to our website is the probably the easiest way. Perfect. Which I'll share, I'll share in the chat also. Can we talk Perfect. a little bit about the whole region? Because this is, you know, first that I've heard about it, and it's a fairly new wine region before, you know. No, so people have an idea of, of where you are located and what makes right. it so special. Yeah. I mean, Do we have that map? Yep. So as she's opening it, what we what we would like to know is like where is it located? When the map comes up, we can do that. And we always want people to be able to come visit you. So, you know, what is what is the best way to get to the Waitaki Valley and the, the special things that make it um, that yep. AVA? So. Huh. Yeah. No, no, you don't have to have a helicopter. But, but, uh, <laughs> But it's on the 45th parallel. We're just north of the 45th parallel. So we're halfway to the Antarctic from this, from the equator. And we're getting into cool country. Remember, we don't have a big continental landmass behind us like California or, or Australia. Uh, so we tend to get what Kiwis know famously as four seasons in one day a lot of the year. Uh, and that makes it for, for great, for significant challenges. But the Waitaki tends to be on the eastern side of our main mountain range, the Southern Alps. So it tends to be very dry, quite dry, not like some of California, but quite dry. Like we would say uh, average maybe 14, 16 inches of rain a year uh, in, in inches. And um, uh, winters, which are getting warmer, a lot warmer in the last 10 years, but that's worldwide. Um, and the spring's getting a bit earlier. And it's just from being very much on the edge, suddenly people are looking at the Waitaki and saying, hey, those guys are producing some kind of special uh, stylistically distinct wines. And maybe as the climate's warming up a bit, that's where we want to be. I don't know if you know of Atarangi, um, which is New Zealand's Grand Cru, really, uh, Pinot Noir in the North Island in Martinborough. And Clive Payton, who who who's the doyen and the, who started it all, has said if he was... He's, you know, he's not doing any more, but he said if he was starting again, he would now be doing it in the Waitaki. He's a big fan. And you had mentioned limestone soils. Is that yeah. is that a small portion of the Waitaki yes. Valley? Or yes. okay, so so you've got so the, you've it, got a geologic, special spot. Geologically, New Zealand's from very unstable stock. New Zealand is caused by earthquakes. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got those in California, but we're right on the tectonic plate between the Australian plate and the Pacific plate and that forces up the South Island particularly of New Zealand 
so there's bits of old seabed, and that's what really drew us there. It's, 30, it's only 30 million years old, uh, where the, where the Car Caroline's Pinot Noir comes from, but there's also a variety of geologies within quite a short range. So the University of Otago sends its students up there because they're, you know, you can get igneous, you can get metamorphic, you can get sedimentary all in a very small area. So, yes, the vineyard, the limestone is quite a small part of it, actually. And so you, you started to talk about, or maybe I missed it, the, the geographical aspect of it. So, like in Paso, we have the Santa Lucia Mountains and the Shaloma Hills. And yes. then we have the Salinas River in the center. And they all impact, you know, what are your actual, do, do you have, you said you, you don't have the, the mountain range like Australia would have, but do you have your geographical influence? Yeah, sure. We're, we're, we're on, there's quite a big river that drains the whole central part of the South Island. It stores like 65% of New Zealand's hydropower and there are multiple hydroelectric schemes along its length. Um, and that comes down between two mountain ranges, and we're just on the edge of that. And on the southern side of the river, looking north, so that we get all the aspects of, you know, we, we need a bit of slope to capture the sun. They say 1% of slope is, 1 degree of slope is 1% more accumulated heat for the season, and we've needed all of that. Um, but we have mountains behind us, and we look to the north. Uh, of course, the sun's in the north where we are. So, yeah, kind of a, it's quite spectacular. It's quite special. Talk about the climate. What type of climate do you have? So the climate is, it's it's a temperate climate. Um, as I say, 16 inches of rain. Um, we get temperatures up to, well, we're in centigrade. We get temperatures up to kind of 100 degrees at times in, in January, our hottest month. And we get down to where we are, not very cold, down to about minus six maybe uh, centigrade. So that's what, you know. Um, uh, I'm trying to do the math. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe 20 degrees Fahrenheit or something like that in the winter. So I, I'm sorry, Jim. What what did you say your your high temperature is? So maybe we, we get a few days where it touches 100 degrees uh, okay, Fahrenheit. Okay, uh, but that's and that's got a little bit more common, of course. But mostly the temperature would be more like uh, uh, I think I think our average temperature is only twenty degrees in summer, like in January. So uh, I'm just trying to work out what twenty degrees is, but you know, seventy degrees Fahrenheit maybe. Uh, yeah. So twenty. Lots of sun um, and. We also get a maritime influence. So as the hinterland inland from us up the valley further heats up, there's a big, there's quite a big plain inland from us. That heats up and it sucks up a sea breeze, uh, an adiabatic wind uh, in the summer, every day, sort of early afternoon. And that tends to bring a bit of cloud sometimes and a bit of, a bit of dampness, but generally okay. it's pretty dry. Um, and then is there, do you have to worry about um, mold or, or mildew? Or, I'm sorry. Um, for, disease isn't, disease pressure is not high on our vineyards. Okay. We have to a wee bit, but nothing like they would in other, so like in uh, Marlborough, they have to a bit of it. In the North Island, uh, there's a lot more humidity, a lot more rainfall, and they certainly have to uh, counteract it more vigorously than we do. Can you, can you tell us, Jim, uh, like the, the history of winemaking in the Waiataki Valley? Like, when did when did the vines first start coming in and when did it start to develop a little more? Yeah, well, it's very recent. Um, as I was telling you in the, in the late 90s, I met my new brother-in-law who turned out to be this hot winemaker, uh, like yeah, he really is, and a, and a walking encyclopedia. And as an MD, I'd been farming on a sheep station, which you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, when I was a young medical student, and you know, flying the planes and and uh, driving the uh, cattle down the down the lake in the in the barge, and and acting as a what's called a rouseabout, doing general tasks. And I was I was uh, always hankered to be a bit of a farmer, 
Um, I did a good medical career, but um, when I met Jeff, he said, take me to the Waitaki Valley. I'd like to have a look at it. There was no industry there. So that's the end of the 90s. We bought the Albert of Land uh, in 2001 and planted it first in 2002. So we were, along with a, a couple of other people who arrived at the same time, we were pioneers there. It's still absolutely tiny, uh, but we're starting to make a bit of a mark, really. Um, only a few producers, some of the Marlborough producers, some of the Central Otago producers have vineyards there now. Um, but we've been there doing it and um, we don't make the grapes actually in the valley. I truck them out to contract winery where Jeff oversees their making. Oh, okay. Okay. And how how far are you trucking that? Two hours. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so you're, I'm guessing over, you're harvesting very early in the morning. No. Um, it's cool enough when we harvest that, that, that we take the previous day's harvest and I drive them over at dawn the next morning. Oh, okay. And, and there may have been a frost or there may have been uh, certainly cool temperatures overnight so that the fruit's kept in great condition. Um, and sort of 12 hours, uh, you know, when it was last picked before we get it into the vat. Awesome. And then what is your, um, do, I don't know if, if you guys follow the same thing. Do, do you have the Winkler scale for the degree days that you have? Um, that might be an American thing. Um, the growing degree days? Yes. We yeah, I don't know about the name Winkler, but um, yeah, we it's quite quite low. Like we're between eight and nine hundred growing degree days. Oh, okay. Yeah, quite, okay. it's quite cool. We have to work at um, we get low low crops to get them really physiologically ripe, uh, which we successfully do. But also interestingly, by not ripening as fast as Central Otago, which has a much more continental climate than we do. I think that maritime uh, uh, mediating of, of temperatures that we get uh, gives us an opportunity to get real skin ripeness as well as sugar ripeness. And I think that's one of our little secrets. But we also get great acidity in the wines from the diurnal um, um, variation in temperature at that time of year. Uh, so we get great acidity and I think that's what gives these wines great longevity of, of they'll they'll last a long time and um, some rather special style characters that is not seen elsewhere in New Zealand. <laughs> well you can see Waitaki there right down Central Otago. Central Otago okay. right in as far south and as in the centre there has got the more surrounded by mountains, quite famous for its Pinot Noir, I think worldwide. Uh, big fruity wines because they get this rapid ripening quite high alcohol, they're learning to manage that. But here in the Waitaki, we're two hours over the hill uh, and more coastal, as you can see. And that gives us a very different climate and a very different style of wine to Central Otago. In addition, the, we have this little bit of limestone that is not found in many other places in New Zealand. There's a little bit in Canterbury Wairarapa. There's a tiny little bit of... of, of sorry, Canterbury Waipara, and there's a little bit of limestone in Wairarapa in the North Island there, you can see. Those are the main sort of regions of New Zealand. And we're really a little little pimple on the Otago scene, if you like. Um, um, you're I'd like to think we're punching above our weight. And you're, fairly new. you're fairly new. You, you planted in, what, 2002 or something like that? Yes, yes, we did. So, I mean, these wines are like stellar, or I haven't tried the Pinot yet, but um, what else, I mean, we have the Riesling and we have the Pinot Noir. What else grows very well in this region? Well, it's not that popular in the US, I believe, but we do a couple of stellar Pinot Gris of different styles. Oh, there, Pinot when, Gris is starting to come. Yes. People are finding their way to Pinot Gris. Well, there's some stock of ours still that David's got there in the warehouse that has got a few years on it, and it's spectacular. I really recommend it, the Lakeside Pinot Gris, the accompaniment to this um, Riesling. Yeah, um, 2012. Uh, yeah, and it's really good. 
I had some the other day. Um, but so is, is we Lake, also do a sorry. Is Lakeside the vineyard that it comes from? Yep, yep. Okay, yeah. So that's the most inward, further up the valley vineyard uh, where we live, uh, beside one of the the first hydro lake that you meet when you're going up the valley. And and just just as a point of interest, it's a very low population. This area, it's it's not even well known in New Zealand. Um, um, there are quite a lot of holiday makers now come to these hydro lakes in summer. And now, a word from our sponsor. Josina Wines loves to give back. There are so many fur babies that deserve to find their forever home. We would love to be able to help as many as possible. If you are part of a nonprofit organization or know of a nonprofit organization that would like to hold a fundraiser, please contact us at contact at dracinawines.com or visit our website, dracinawines.com, to fill out the form. How does the fundraiser work? It is super simple and costs your group absolutely nothing. Together, we will choose a month that your group will be sponsored. During the month, you promote the fundraiser just like any other event you'd hold. At the end of the month, we will donate 20% of the sales to your organization. The donations will be made in the name of each individual who purchased the wine so that you know exactly who helped the animals. Our goal is to raise as much funds as we possibly can and to help as many animals as possible. So please help us help as many fur babies as we possibly can. But it is also, um, there's a couple of, there's a very famous New Zealand rugby player that comes from our town called Kurao, where our cellar door is. And the very famous rugby player is known as the GOAT, the greatest of all time of rugby players, uh, Richie, Richie McCaw. So in New Zealand, that's why Kurao is now on the map. But the other reason that is actually more, to me, more interesting even that the very first hydroelectric dam in the region was a job creation scheme by the government in the Depression. And they built the whole dam across this big river. It's quite a big river. Uh, they built it uh, completely from labour, wheelbarrows, pulleys, no machinery, to create as many jobs as possible. And there were very cold winters at that time, and these men were living in shacks and tented huts and pretty bad conditions. And the local doctor, Macmillan, and the headmaster, Davidson, and the Presbyterian minister, Nordmeyer, started having meetings about these terrible social conditions. There was quite a high attrition rate. They were getting injured, dying, getting sick. 2,000 men working on the dam. They had secret meetings with the only, I was going to say pink, but it's the other way around for Republicans and Democrats. The, the only sort of socially minded farmer in the district, because these farmers tend to, tend to be very uh, uh, Republican in their, their thinking. And they had secret meetings uh, to discuss all these things. And as a result, the first Labour government, the Socialist government in New Zealand in 1937 was formed. Uh, and two of these guys, the doctor and the, and the minister, became ministers of, in the government of, of that first Labour government and formed the world's first social welfare policy. There you go. Cradle to grave uh, with state involvement. And we, wow. we that's, that's been modified a lot in New Zealand over the years, but it's still very much part of what makes New Zealand a bit special and the recognition that for a democracy you need both sides. Absolutely. And before we went live, you were talking, you were telling a story of... Um, the Waitaki, the, where the name itself comes from, and the history. So of yes, yes so our that? mountain. So if you're a, if you're uh, a Maori person and in a, in a formal setting, you give your mihi, which means you say uh, you are who where you come from, really. So you talk about your mountain and your river, and and in, in our case, uh, our mountain is is New Zealand's highest mountain in the. Southern Alps, about 150 kilometers away, um, 100 miles away up the valley, and it's uh, a mountain that's 12 and a half thousand feet high, and it's called Aoraki, Mount Cook, depending on uh, the name you want. Aoraki uh, means cloud piercer, oh. 
and, and Māori. And the, 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 the glaciers and rivers that come off that mountain form the start of the Waitaki River. And Waitaki can, Wai means water or tears. And, and uh, so the, the, the interpretation of Waitaki can be, there are a number actually, the tears of Aoraki, the mountain. So, so that's the water that we take for a little bit of irrigation is uh, the, the tears of Aoraki. So we're very much the Waitaki. I love that. I love that. Do you want me to put it? I have a this map to show if this helps. Ah, yes. Yes, indeed. So you can see that blue lake yeah. up there. And just off the scale by, uh, as it say, there's a green icon. Just up there is Mount Cook, right in the middle of that mountain range that stretches up the island. Okay. And the Tasman River comes down into Lake Pukaki, the, the, the uh, turquoise lake. There are actually two others you can see in different color that don't have that glacial coloration. And they all form down into one river that comes down, and you can see a yellow dot coming down towards the coast. That's Kurao. And that's just where we are in the middle. That's uh, our vineyards are on either side of that yellow dot. Wow. And as you can see, it's quite mountainous there. Yes, it is. It certainly is. Wow. Yeah, this oh. gives a lot better view yeah. of what you're looking at when you're talking about a wine region in this area. And right up in the top, uh, just out of sight in the top right corner where that peninsula is sticking out, just above that is Christchurch, the city of Christchurch, mm -hmm. famous for, uh, it's one of New Zealand's biggest cities, famous for the earthquake in, in 2012, the earthquakes. And right down to towards the bottom left, you can see a zigzag-shaped lake where I am today. Actually, you can yeah. see a yellow dot on that, and that's Queenstown, and and uh, it's a that's, it's a well-known tourist town. The yellow dot um, is Fergburger. <laughs> the yellow dot is Fergburger. Fergburger is it? <laughs> okay, well Fergburger. <laughs> Fergburger is a very well-known um, burger joint in Queenstown, <laughs> and people come from miles around to go to Fergburger. Yeah, but that's so the middle that, of the town. That's, that's your version of In and Out, then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so between those two dots is Central Otago, and then over the mountains into the Waitaki. That gives it. You can see we're not really. It's Waitaki North Otago. It's officially as our geographic descriptor, but actually we're more to the east of central Otago rather than north of it. Okay. And so let's talk a little bit more about uh, your winery itself. So Osler, um, the label has shell, a shell on it. Yeah. So can you tell us the meaning behind the name and, and behind the label? I'd love to. Um, you start off on a blank canvas and, and you know, you try and uh, decide where you're going to pioneer and do something as silly as starting to be the first people to grow grapes there. And you then have to create a brand and uh, you come from being a, you know, a, a fairly single-minded um, MD. You, you're, you're breaking new ground all the way and... My mother's, who died of a very long time ago, was name was Audrey Osler. One of our wines is called Audrey's Pinot Gris, and it's it's our primo white. Uh, she died in 1960, and it turns out, it turns out that only her grandfather, three generations back, came was in his name was Osler. My mother's name was Audrey Osler, and he came from Yorkshire on that North England, northeast coast. And all the Oslers around the world, in fact, when we started this project and got our first wines out, there was a Jim Osler who turned out to be the chairman of wine judges in Canada who contacted me. <laughs> uh, but, but all those Oslers spread out around the world, as the Brits did when they and And in old England, the Oslers were people that looked after the horses at the inns. They were the stable men. And... I always thought it was funny that they came from Yorkshire and it wasn't really an old English name. And it took me a while to work out that uh, that, that actually York is, was Jorvik. It was a Scandinavian. It was a Viking town. 
And in the 10th century, the Vikings all arrived there and uh, um, they found a lot of archaeological stuff. And and a lot of those Vikings were great horsemen, of course. And I've no doubt that if you put an umlaut over the O of Oslo, it would be Ostla, the people from the east. So I I kind of fancy myself these days and it's uh, it's given me a whole new confidence in life. But uh, there'll be no pillaging going on. Um, yeah, so that was that was the brand, and and so that was the name, and you wonder how that's going to go, and it's become a little bit of an icon, I have to say, and and the the shell was how do you represent limestone on a label? Because Jeff really wanted to make Pinot Noir on limestone. That was going to be our point of difference, and it is our point of difference uh, with that Carolines. Uh, not all our wines are from that limestone site, but the Carolines and the Audrey's are, and. Um, and we think it's given it the, the, the combination of climate and that geology are the chief parameters, I think, that give it this the terroir its you know distinct nature and style. So yeah. we we when we when we ripped the site with a bulldozer prior to planting it, we pulled up all sorts of limestone boulders and the what drew Jeff to the site was there was this big limestone cap when we looked up from the valley floor, there was this big limestone cap on a hill. He said, take me up that road, and we came over the brow, and there in front of us was a mini coat door, he reckoned. And in the, in the centre of that, just above where the vineyard is, there was, a, um, there was a quarry where in the 1960s they'd looked for agricultural lime. So we could go and look at the profile of the, of the, of the soil and the subsoil. And Jeff, Jeff got very excited, and... After two years of so-called due diligence, we were going to do it come hell or high water. And uh, that's the story. Uh, due diligence uh, and, and mapping and, and trying to produce uh, a model of the climate, because there wasn't much to go by, gave us a wildly optimistic kind of uh, shot of what, in fact, the temperatures are. And really, it, you shouldn't be able to grow grapes where it's that cold. Um, I think partly, and we now know that the high UV levels uh, and, and the, the, um, um, the hole over the Antarctic, the UV hole, uh, has given us UV levels that help compensate, compensate for heat a little bit. Uh, it is also getting warmer, there's no doubt about the last decade we've seen earlier and earlier uh, vintages. Um, yeah, so that's, that's most of the story really. Um, you talked about Caroline and, and Audrey. Are they your children, grandchildren? Uh, right. Audrey's so, the mother, right? So Audrey, Aud- Audrey was my mother. Okay. Um, I was just going to say that when the bulldozer ripped that land, that we pulled up these big limestone eggs that had rolled off the cap, the limestone cap that we saw that first day. And those were all pulled out. Um, by the, and we spent ages collecting them and piled them. And several years later, a, a, a gentleman and his 73rd year, um, spent a year building them into a rock wall. So we now call that vineyard Clo Osler because it's very <laughs> Burgundian in appearance. And it's, <laughs> and it's it. fabulous. It's kind of a special thing, really. Uh, so and one of those boulders, when they were broken open by the rock breaker to make the wall, started. we started finding these fossils. Just down the road, they found a metre-high fossil of a penguin uh, oh my and, gosh! <laughs> and precursors of whales that, you know, thirty million years old, and that that shell is thirty million year old fossil. Wow, that that is so cool. That is so cool. Um, when so, when you go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to ask when you decided to plant there. <clears throat> how did you decide? Um, you know, you wanted Pinot. How did you decide that that? I'm assuming that was the first thing you planted was the Pinot? Cause, Absolutely. All right. <laughs> and how did you decide, you know, what clones you were going to use or are they, are they, um, you know, um, on self-root? How, how did yeah. you decide what was best for that area? Yeah. If you were the pioneer, like, you know, people well, are going to learn from your mistakes. How did you... Well, luckily I teamed up with a very experienced winemaker and viticulturist. And he made the guesses for a lot of it. And we didn't get much wrong, you know. There's a couple of the clones that he selected. uh, We planted them over three years. And 
couple of them don't do that well in our cool climate. Um, but some of them do particularly well. And so we took a selection of clones on a selection of rootstocks and we even, the very first vines we had taken from a nursery that were on their own roots. But that year that we planted, the first phylloxera was found in central Otago. So we thought we won't plant any more on own roots. Uh, we haven't had any problems with that so far and those vines actually produced some very nice grapes. But, but I think uh, you wouldn't plant on own roots anymore, anymore in New Zealand, really. Um, so yeah, clones, the clones are mostly the Burgundy clones and UCD clones. Um, so we've got the Pomard clone, okay. uh, UCD uh, 5 and 6, um, and we've got uh, B115, B667, B777. And then we've also got this gumboot clone, I don't know if you know what a gumboot is. It's like Wellington, wellies. I don't know what you call them. Oh, okay. I have a pair of yeah, wellies. Yeah. And there's a lovely story. that It's also known as the Atarangi clone. I mentioned Atarangi as being the Grand Cru of, of New Zealand. Um, so the Atarangi, Clive Payton, uh, was working with a, a horticultural advisor in a government um, research station in the late 70s when a chap... He was on duty uh, actually at Auckland Airport when a chap arrived from France with a suitcase bulging and he, asked, he was asked to display it. Now, we've got very tight biosecurity in New Zealand. And uh, this guy, Abel, Malcolm Abel, opened the suitcase and found stuffed in a Wellington and his gumboots were cuttings from a burgundy vineyard. Uh-oh. Now, there's a lot of that in California because you don't have that kind of barrier that we have, uh, biosecurity barrier, and suitcase clones, as they're called, are all over California, I gather. Yep. But in New Zealand, there are only a relatively small number of clones, and then there are not many more coming in. Um, so anyway, the story is these came from La Tache, and um, somehow he was able to, as a government, this is not corrupt, he was actually able to take them away and quarantine them officially. And he grew them on, and his assistant, who was Clive Payton, who started Atarangi the following year, planted that. And that's quite a large part of our planting. It's quite a vigorous, uh, vigorous producer. So the, those Burgundy clones are pretty low yielding, and because of our climate, we're even lower yield. So we would only get, uh, in a good year, four tons to the hectare. Oh. So that is like one and a half tons to the acre. Acre, right. So pretty, and that's because of this cool uh, spring we get and the fruit set we get. Now, because of that, in 2004, Jeff said we better plant some white. And I really wanted, I thought, we're going to be Burgundian here. We're going to be do a Chardonnay. But at that stage, the clones in New Zealand that were available were mostly Mendoza. And they would not set fruit in our climate. And besides that, Everyone was a bit sick of over-oaked, over-produced Chardonnays. Yeah. And Jeff said, no, let's do a Pinot Gris. It's pretty popular. And I was disappointed, and I still am, really. I really would love to have, I think, if, if you look at that, Caroline's, and I think we could do something pretty spectacular with a Chardonnay. Uh, I haven't done it, and it would be a bucket list wish. Um, but we make our Audrey's Pinot Gris like a Chardonnay, and then we stick it in a, in a burgundy bottle for that reason. Oh, okay. Awesome. Awesome. Deb, do you have another question or? Um, I do. Um, and this is going back into the weather and stuff. Do you have to worry about the frost? Yes. Like, we worry about everything. Debbie. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, just with your, the way your climate is and, yeah. you know, yeah. have you lost any, you know, have you had any bad years where frost is really important? Yes. Yes, we've had years we didn't produce. Um, oh. and, and, and the climate's definitely improved, but of course we're getting more of these extreme events as well um, around the world, and we've had our share of those. But um, spring frosts were a real problem, are a real, real problem. We used helicopters for years uh, because we were always undercapitalized and we didn't put in the, the permanent wind fans that we now have. And uh, I had the worst nights of my life um, monitoring the temperatures remotely, sitting on my laptop with a 
weather station giving me real-time readouts after the alarm went off, sort of 3 or 2 o'clock in the morning, and you'd watch the graph slowly edging downwards, oh. um, and I'd have a helicopter on standby 15, meters, 15 uh, minutes from the vineyard, and the pilot even sitting in the cockpit of the aircraft, and then I'd say, no, 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 don't go, there's a, another puff of wind, and they'd get pretty pretty pissed really and but but and and then I'd say yes look the temperature's dropped and and please fly and I'd mm. get in my car and race down to the vineyard at the same time and we have these temperature sensitive lights and they're all flashing red by that stage oh. which is like minus one uh, you know celsius which is about as low as we can possibly go and the helicopter arrives immediately and starts hovering and around the vineyard and bringing down the temperature inversion, the warm air. Uh, and we always left it as late as possible because it costs so much per hour to fly these things. Having put in permanent um, structures in 2014, we bit the bullet and, and, and financed them and they come on automatically at about two, plus two degrees. So we burn a bit more diesel, but they're a fraction of the cost to run. And I think we've seen Overall, the ambient temperature doesn't get as low during the, during the spring and we get better fruit set. It's just mm -hmm. a matter of, you know, doing it really and, and financing it. Right. So, yes, frosts have been a big issue <coughs> for us. Um, um, as I say, we've had just about everything. We, we certainly have droughts, but we have water, the irrigation that we can counteract that. We've had floods. Uh, we get extreme winds at times coming down through the Alps. Wow. Um, and, and we get frosts. We've had uh, big snow. The last one of those was really in 2006. Uh, so we haven't seen that for a while, but touch wood, who knows. So I guess all of that, I had read that uh, NewZealandWine.com stated that Waitaki Valley is the wine-growing region that is on the edge, and there's little margin for error. And I'm guessing all of that is the reason why they, they call it that, is that... Well, they used to call, you know, there were books written about Central Otago who preceded us as as the winemaking on the edge. I think you could say we're just over the edge, but um, the, 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 it's getting more reliable. And I think that being on that edge is partly what gives the quality of these wines. And so and I think there's a, there's a, a feature in all the wines of... I don't know how you describe minerality, but there is certainly a sort of uh, chalky minerality that comes through in the limestone ones. But I think part of that's climate uh, and that acid thing because we can see it in these whites as well. I think you could imagine you get a little bit of saltiness in, in that Riesling. Right. So right now you're heading into spring, correct? Yep. Yeah, we're in, in, in the middle of spring. Yeah. How, how is it going right now? It's been a cool spring. So we're, last year was the earliest year we'd had. Uh, this year we've, we've really gone back quite a bit. Um, we haven't, there's been some frosts in some areas. Uh, the Waitaki's been okay. Um, so often we get them before worse than everywhere else. We thought when we went there we'd be better than central Otago because we're more of a maritime climate. It turns out we're probably a bit worse for frosts. They warm up a bit quicker in the spring than we do. Um, but there's been frosts in Marlborough, been frosts in, in Waipra and North Canterbury uh, that have done quite a lot of damage, I've heard, but we are okay at the moment. The first, the full moon at the start of, closest to the start of November often is our worst week. Oh, oh there's... Yeah. Okay. The shoots, when the shoots are about this long hmm. and tender and vulnerable and can be very easily taken right off in one, you know, in, in half an hour. Right. What is wow. when is nor normal? Would you say is the normal time for bud break? About when? So this year we've only been burst really for a week. Okay. Uh, but start of, we'd normally say the start of October. Is 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 bud break? Wow. Okay. And then that's that's a dangerous time too. You know, depending on you know. Um, but right let's... from then, right from then on, I mean, any frost is is a Disaster, is, is a disaster if, if, if it's not ameliorated yes we 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 actually had a little bit of uh frost we had uh one night 
uh, in Paso that, that it dropped in and it, we lost a lot of vines. Um, mm. it's, it's horrible, but I would love, Deb's got the bottle in her hand. So she's thinking yeah. exactly what I'm I, thinking. I think it, it, we're approaching up on nine o'clock and we haven't really spoken about the Pinot Noir. And okay. this has been the most lovely Pinot Noir I've had ever from New Zealand to be perfectly honest with you. Mm -hmm. It is just. Thank you, Debbie. It, it is. It's a very special it, one. It and is. Got wonderful um, nuances of, of fruit, a little bit of acidity. I mean, I'm. And it's got it all, hasn't it? It does. And it does. When you said, when you said minerality, that was why I was pointing at the glass. You can, you can taste, you can taste that limestone. You can taste you that, can, can that you? chalkiness mm. you, in there. And I do enjoy Pinots and the, you know, for us, California Pinots are usually like cherry bombs. And that, that's a, that's another delicate line to cross, but this has the cherry in it, but it's not that cherry bomb. And yeah. it is, it's, it's an in-depth fruit going on. It's not just that cherry in your face. There's, you know, there's the red fruit. There is some dark fruit. There's that chalkiness. It's, it's lovely. And there's a bit of tertiary development happening. This wine will last for years. There's a bit of ter tertiary developing there. And I can imagine a little bit of forest flora, a little bit of truffle, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit of chocolate. It's just elegant. Yeah. It's quite a big wine. Um, so the story of 2016 and the Clos Osler was we got this perfect fruit set. And I, and I suppose you know that the name Pinot, they think, derives from pinecone. So that the, the Pinot bunch, the Pinot Noir bunch tends to be pinecone shaped. And that year we got a perfect fruit set. Often we don't get the two seeds forming. So they're not fertilized that well. That year we got perfect bunches forming of berries that never grew. So instead of being 12 millimeters, what's that, half an inch in diameter when they're at, at, at harvest, they would but only be sort of nine millimeters. Now, as you'll know that, and they never, they never filled out and quite a lot of them didn't have two seeds in them. But they were, we also had a superb autumn, as I said, so we got beautiful ripeness of these beautiful little bunches. It got a bit riper than I think I would have chosen, but uh, Jeff's, Jeff's the, he makes the call on that and have to say it, he thinks that's the, he, he's won best, best wine for another Pinot Noir, best wine and show in San Francisco. He's, oh. won, he's won best Pinot Noir in the world and the IWC in London and, uh, you know, he's, he's good, he knows his stuff and he thinks this, 2016 Caroline's is the best Pinot Noir he's ever made. Oh my God. It's beautiful. It uh, really is beautiful. It's, it's over 14%. It's, it's a bit bigger than, than, than my favorite um, because some of ours are much finer than this and there's a big seasonal variation. We celebrate vintage variation, but if you like big Pinots, which are almost Syrah-like, uh, obviously in flavor, very different, but in terms of density, then this is the one for you. It is beautiful. I'm in love with it. <laughs> it is beautiful. Mm. Mm. And I just one last question, and then we will let you go. Um, or I have one last question. Uh, Debbie may have one more, one last question also. Just what is your case production? So of that, of that 2016, I think there were 1,200 dozen. Oh, okay. Okay. They're and is small. that about where you stand? Yeah, um, we've had okay. a bit more. We've certainly had a lot less. And as I said, we've had a year where we didn't get anything. Right. Uh, hopefully not again. But that equates to about three and a half tonnes per hectare. Well, my ideal would be to be producing regularly four tonnes per hectare. Okay. Uh, and I think that's about as much as you'd want to load those vines in our climate. We have quite a big canopy for for each plant. So... If you measure the exposed leaf area to fruit weight ratio, uh, that's all was all calculated before we started. We need quite a lot of leaf. Okay. Um, and in other places, like in Central Otago, where they ripen too quickly, they're reducing the size of their canopy. But we need it all. 
Um, and so small yields uh, to get very physiologically and sugar ripe is our mantra really and, and relatively late in the season usually. We don't harvest until mostly the end of April. Okay. So they're on there a long time. They're on there. They're, the they're long happily, hang time. They yes. are very happy on that vine. Yes. Mm. Now, nice. if, if people wanted to come visit you, if they're traveling to New Zealand, how do they get to So you? most people who come to New Zealand travel between Christchurch and Queenstown by road usually. And not far off that main road, uh, you can get down to Kurao in the Waitaki Valley where we are. But we have a website and we have a cellar door in the old post office that goes from that time of the Depression is our cellar door. Oh, wow. Uh, old limestone building. So um, we it's worth uh, if someone's making the journey, especially I had a guy from California some years ago who had found some Carolines and which fell in love with it. And he, he had a dozen screaming eagle from some special vintage worth megabytes. He told me he sold them for 23,000, is it, US or something? And with that, he flew out to New Zealand and came and saw us. Oh, that, that is so awesome. Awesome. oh my goodness. That is so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we're not hard to find if you just you know, just follow that. It's on the and it's on our website. And I know you said your your distrib distribution is is limited, but are you available on the East Coast as well? Dave. Dave? <laughs> uh, we're actually we're actually working on that. We actually do have some distribution in Florida now. And we are, so that does cover the Southeast, um, but we're working on getting a little bit better back. It's, since COVID, uh, we kind of lost our Northeast wow. distribution, um, but you could always contact me if somebody needed to, and I did put my information in the chat if anybody needs it. But um, we, we, We've improved our website to make it more accessible so that everybody can access the website and we ship to 39 states. So we can we can definitely do that. Um, but we will have distribution back in the Northeast again as well for for trade, you know, as well. Beautiful. Okay, good, good. So I would like to thank both of you for coming on. And for, you know, Jim, for taking your time, I, it, you're tomorrow morning, right? Yes. No, well, no, we're, we're um, yesterday afternoon, actually. Oh. No, you're, no, you're tomorrow. We're yesterday <laughs> afternoon. No, we're yesterday, okay. Yeah. Uh, coast. We, got the so, we got the West Coast and we've got so, uh, Down Under. Yeah. It's, it's, it's because of the dateline, if you there. go... Because of the dateline, if you go all the way back round, we're we're uh, I think uh, twenty hours ahead of you. But yeah. um, you're actually four hours ahead of us at the moment in terms of day daylight time. Oh, yes. it gets so confusing. I, but I, whatever day it is, whatever time it is, yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming Thank on. You. Your wines are incredible. Um, they Stella. really, they truly are. And I can't wait for, um, you know, our listeners to hear the podcast, to hear about Osler Wines. And Dave, thank you so much for the time you spent with us today and also arranging for the samples and getting Jim here. And, you know, for those of you, who, um, I went to Dave and I suggested another region and Dave's like, no, 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 this is My the region you. you want. Yep. And <laughs> I'm so glad because the exposure for this wine region and it's new and stellar wines. I mean, yes, exceptional wines. So double thumbs up. Kudos, Dave, for switching me off the track I originally was going on. Um, thank you very much. And we appreciate it. And all of the listeners and viewers, any questions, please send them over to us and we will forward them to the correct place because you're going to want to get your hands on these wines because they are outrageous. These are stellar. I mean, yes. And I have to say, this is probably the first Riesling I've ever had from New Zealand. I, I think me too. I'm, I'm not but familiar with a memory of one. This so. Pinot Noir, it, they're both. I don't know which one to pour in the glass 
nuts, you know, because it's nine o'clock. My team's playing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go into it. <laughs> there you go. Wonderful. But thank, thank you. you thank you all much. very much. So much. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Cheers. Have a guys. great night. Bye now. Bye. Cheers. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoytbud. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Music is Wine by Kevens. Until next week, slancha. Even in the Bible, our